it is with much eagerness and excitement that I open God's Word with you all this morning. I, I don't know what it is about this Sunday. I've just been looking forward to gathering together with you all, Christ's body. Let's start in 2 Timothy. Um, before we get to verses 15 to 18, I want to I wanna start off kind of maybe a thousand feet high, looking down and something that the Apostle Paul, that the Lord has reiterated throughout the first chapter here that he's going to close in that is oh so significant. And it's this question that I want to pose in my sermon title this morning that the Lord has been just impressing upon me all week as I studied out this passage and as God and his and his grace just kept pouring out to me just his wonderful mercy and grace and that is this idea of not being ashamed of the gospel that is what Paul is wanting to get across to Timothy so he doesn't just mention it once he doesn't just mention it twice in this first chapter, he mentions it three times so that all of us would understand that this is something that we all are faced with each day. Opportunities that the Lord gives us that we can either step forward in and embrace, such as going to a restaurant and somebody asking you, how are you doing today? And perhaps you start thinking, man, I could use that and just launch in. I'm so much better than, than I deserve because God's grace has just been poured out on me. Do you know the grace of God? Do you know of the Lord Jesus Christ? How often do I, do, do I go there and how often do I not go there? Look at what Paul says and I, and I want to pull out for us these verses that speak of not being ashamed. Picking up in verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 1, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and look at this and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. 
and you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. So the question for us all this morning is this, are you ashamed of the gospel? Do you find yourself at times pulling back because of the awkwardness? Because of what could be the response? Maybe because of the group of people that you're with. As I mold over this passage this week, my, my mind kept going back to our time in Papua New Guinea as, as missionaries in the village there, and two kids in particular. Their names are Jonah and Wendy. That's more their English names. And their mother passed away. And she was from the village of Omto, which was a different language group, about eight hours hike away from, from the village that we were serving in. And when, I'm sorry, when her father passed away, or when their father passed away, that left the mother alone in our village, and she really had no protection. She didn't have any kin, any family there to look after her. And so what happened was a man who was known as Sabian that I've, I've spoke about in church here before, he was our, our village sorcerer, and somewhere he came up with this terrible idea, no doubt from Satan, that he wanted to acquire ten wives. And so he was working on that. I think at this time he, he had four wives, and he set his sights on Jonah and Wendy's mom, his wife number five. Nobody said anything. What he did was he tied up her hands, pulled her literally from our village into the jungle, into the bush where he had another house, and he basically waited her out. That's the way they used to do marriages. You can be thankful that that isn't the way we do marriage here. They came back, now as husband and wife, wife number five. Fast forward four years, and now in, instead of being 14, Wendy is now 18. She's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. She has believed in him. She has repented of her sins. She's growing in godliness. She wants to search the scriptures. She's getting involved in the different Bible studies that are happening, women's studies and different things. And, and what happens? Sabien decides, man, I really want her for my next wife. Not just her mom. I want her daughter too. And so he starts chasing after Wendy. And whatever house she sleeps in, she's moving to a different house every night. That, those people are accosted by Sabian who comes in with an axe and threatens to kill anybody that stops him from taking her. But she's fast. And every time he pulls her outside, she dashes away and hides. This goes on for weeks on end. And at certain times, Sabian upsets church. He upsets everyone. All because he wants this woman, this young woman, this young lady. Finally, one night he comes in and she's fearful he's going to do something to her because she keeps saying no to him. And so she runs out of that house, disappears into the jungle night, and hikes the eight hours all the way over to her mom's old village. There she's protected, but she's not with her family, her mom and her brothers. She sends note a note to us saying, hey, can you, can you send me some things? I wasn't able to bring my, my bed sheet. I don't have a mosquito net. 
I don't have any of my, my Bible portions. At that time, we didn't have the entire New Testament translated. We just had books of the Bible in small little books, and, and she didn't bring any of those with her. She asked for those things. So I stand in front of the Siawi church, just like I'm doing here. Except for they weren't in chairs. They're sitting on the floor, on a bark floor. Say, no, but do you talk? I said, Wendy, this woman has believed truly in the Lord Jesus Christ. She needs our help. Are you willing to help her? And everybody hangs their, their heads down. And I say, I say, look, you can come to my house if, you, if you've got... An extra Bible portion, can you bring that? If you have a mosquito net, will you bring that? If you, if you have an, an extra skirt, an extra shirt, anything that would be useful for her, a bed sheet, even a, a piece of cardboard, that, that's what they use for, for like their mattress. Anything, can you bring it? So then I started getting a trickle of people coming at night. They wouldn't come during the day. And they drop things off for Wendy. And after three weeks, it, it now became the day before we were supposed to deliver this stuff to her. And I'd been telling them over and over and over again, hey, Satan does not win. You guys might think he does because of this man and how powerful he is, but Satan does not win. And okay, tomorrow, I'm going to go deliver this stuff to Wendy. And I would love to have somebody come along. Nobody responds. Nobody even looks at me. Nobody even talks to me about this. What I find out later is that Sabian had been going around the village telling everybody, you even go on that trail, I'm going to shoot you. And Sabian isn't the guy that makes idle threats. He, he carries them out. And the only reason why I put myself in this, in this whole story is, is to let you know I don't like to tell stories where I'm involved because this is all about the Lord. And, and there was a certain perspective that because I was an outsider and because Sabian had been one of my main language helpers, I knew he wouldn't shoot me. At least I had a pretty good idea he wouldn't shoot me. But anybody in the village, they were fair game and he would shoot them without thinking twice. So the next day I get up, and I, and, I, and I take this bag full of stuff for Wendy, and I walk down our grass airstrip, which is 600 meters. I get to the top of the airstrip. I take a right, and that is the road that goes to Omto. It's only about six inches, and after I take about 20 or 30 feet, most of you would be lost because that's how small the road is. And as I'm walking, I, I, I hear something up ahead of me, and I look, and I see a, a, a man kind of off to the side in a silhouette, and I'm thinking, are you kidding me, Lord? I'm already going to come in contact with Sabien? And instead, it wasn't Sabien. Do you know who it was? It was Jonah, her then 21-year-old brother. And I said, man, what are you doing here? And he says, hey, Abu. He says, that, give it to me. And, and, and I said, do you know what you're, what, what, what you're doing? Have you heard what Sabien said? And he said, oh, yeah, I heard he actually told me. He said, if you go and help your sister, I'm going to kill you. And I said, but you're going? And then he says, well, you've been telling us that 
Satan loses, that God will protect you. What, he, he's just going to protect you, the white man? Is he not going to protect me too? No, I know from God's word that he will protect me. And he, and he basically says, as nice as it, as it is for you to do this, I need to do this. You're her brother in the Lord, but I'm her brother true, true. Same mom, same dad. That doesn't happen all the time in, in that village. So I hand that to him and praise the Lord he delivers it all the way to Wendy. Sabian never shows up. To my knowledge, Sabian never got her as one of his wives. Are you unashamed of the gospel? When everyone else around you might actually be looking down and thinking, no, I'm not going to do this, would you step forward? That's what we're going to see this morning. That's where Paul goes next as he wraps up chapter 1 in 2 Timothy. What he is trying to challenge Timothy with is no matter what, brother, son, fellow co-worker, the man who I'm handing this baton off to of gospel ministry, no matter what, Timothy, I do not want you to ever be ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to give us two examples. And the ones that are the example on the bad side, the negative side, the ones that are ashamed of the gospel, there are going to be plenty. There are going to be many. But the one that is the example on the positive side of the one who is unashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's a no-name. He's one that if we didn't know here and you didn't mention him, we don't know anything about Onesiphorus. It's not a name that all of us say. I can barely even say it. I've, I've had it been practicing like all week. Onesif, on I just want to call him Oni. He's, he's unknown, but you know what? He is a huge testimony of the Lord's grace in his life. My, my beginning story wasn't about Jonah so much as, as it is about our God. Are you kidding me? The last person on earth I would have thought been waiting for me was Jonah. Yes, I, I knew that he was saved. I knew that he was concerned with the things of the Lord. But this was huge. If there was anybody that Sabian would want to kill, it would be Jonah. It would have alleviated a whole lot of stress for Sabian. He could have been done with that whole aspect and taken Wendy from there without any problems. And what we're going to see with Onesiphorus, that this is all the work of God. So this morning, we see four realities presented to us about living a life that is unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. First, living an unashamed life might actually lead to discouragement. That's where Paul starts. He, he doesn't start off with the pretty side of things. In fact, he starts off with the thing that you and I might actually not share with one another. We might actually skip this part. Why? Because it actually reveals that perhaps, you know what? I, I'm, I'm a little discouraged today. I, I'm struggling. And I don't want you to think that I actually struggle. I want you to think that I'm better than I really am. That, that isn't what we see from Paul. Look at what he says. As we see first, in your notes it says discouragement, but it's more than that. It's living... And, uh, an unashamed of the gospel life might lead to discouragement. 
Discouragement resulting from those who have proven to be unashamed, that they turn their backs on us, that they no longer want to be friends with us, that they no, want to con- no, want, want to, no longer want to continue following along the path that we started off together, where they say, you know what, that, that was all good back then, but right here today, now, no, I don't think so. You're getting a little too much into this Jesus thing. It was okay back there, but right here now, no way. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Did we pray for the preaching of the word? Does anybody remember? I completely spaced it. Well, then we better start. I know that doesn't look good as like the preacher, but uh, now you know it. This is what Jason gets to deal with as he shares the word. Much dependence upon the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for your all-sufficient, your inerrant, your inspired, your oh-so-good and powerful word. Lord, we come with expectancy for you to speak to us this morning. Not for me to speak to us, Lord, but for you to speak to us through your word, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you do that? We entrust this morning to you. Teach us, for we, your servants, are listening, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Discouragement. Notice where Paul goes. He doesn't keep this far away from him. He pulls it right to him. Who have they abandoned? Who have they turned away from? Not Jesus Christ, not Apollos, not you, Timothy. They've turned away from me. They've turned away from me. And remember what he starts off in First, Second Timothy with. He says, man, please come to me. Man, as I remember you, I get all excited about you coming. Please come. Please come. Why? Because he's lonely. Do you recognize this morning that you might be God's answer to someone else's discouragement this morning? And perhaps that's the reason why you're here. Just the way that you might say hello to someone and ask them, no, how are you really doing? How are things going? How can I pray for you? And and you're zeroed in on that person, and other people are coming by, but you're not worrying about them. You're zeroed in on that that person. Why? Because you care for them, and because you want to extend God's grace and love to them. You see, that's what Paul is doing. He's letting Timothy know, hey, I'm bummed. This is not a good situation. And in fact, as I think about it, it's even worse. Because you know, look at how he says it, you are aware of the fact. You know what I'm talking about here. This had to be some sort of situation that was known to many people. That it was somehow revealed that a whole bunch of people turned their backs on Paul and walked away. We don't know if Timothy was there when this happened. Was this mass exodus where a whole bunch of people just stood up and said no? Perhaps when when the guards came to take him, that he was around a whole bunch of believers. We don't know. We just know that Timothy was aware of this. And that this was something personal for Paul. doesn't say they turned away from the Lord. They turned away from me. And notice then, he gives us two examples. Two men, Phygelus and Hermogenes. 
He doesn't explain who they are. He doesn't give us any more detail. In fact, this is all we know. You can search and search commentary after commentary, and anybody that says anything about it is just making it up because we don't know. All we can assume is that these guys were working alongside with Paul and Timothy, so he didn't have to explain who they were. Why? Because they shared a common relationship with them. You want to hurt me? Get to know me, and then turn your back on me. Man, if you don't get to know me and you turn your back on me, not as bad. You get to know me? You invest in me? You serve the Lord with me? Are you kidding me? And then leave me? Part of my heart's just been ripped out. That's what Paul is saying. Timothy, you get it. Probably more so than anybody, Timothy. You get it. You understand when I say this. And then he says this. Before that, he says, all who are in Asia. What? All who are in Asia have turned away from me. Does all mean all here? No. Why? Because Timothy is in Asia. Because Timothy is in Ephesus, which is in Asia. Because Luke is still with the, the Apostle Paul. He has not turned away. Because Aquila, Priscilla, they haven't turned away. No, not everyone that is a believer has turned their back on the Apostle Paul. But you know what? Sometimes when we are in the pit, when, when we are discouraged, th- this is how we think. He's speaking in hyperbole. He's over-exaggerating, but he's letting Timothy know, man, I feel like everyone has turned their back on me. We don't like to talk like this. But do you know that Scripture is full up of godly people who do? That are honest and open and real with one another when, we're, when they're struggling? Turn with me to Psalm, Psalm 143. David is such a good, godly man to go to, to to teach us that we don't just cry out. We cry out to the Lord and we place our hope and our confidence and our trust in Him, recognizing that He is the only one that can pull us out of that, that pit of despair and discouragement. And that's what we see here. Psalm 143, verses 7 and 8. Look at the openness and the honesty of of Paul revealing his heart. I mean, sorry. (laughs) David revealing his heart. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Man, I'm just about all done. I need your help, Lord. Do not hide your face from me. I, I know where my help comes from. It comes from no one but you and your face. What's that? Draw near to me. The idea is, man, if his face is close to you, you're close to him. Or I will become like those who go down to the pit and never come up. Verse 8, let me hear your loving kindness in the morning. And here's the key, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk. For to you I lift up my soul and to no other. Don't look for anybody else to pull you out of this discouragement look to the Lord Jesus Christ and you know how he's going to answer he's going to answer in all sorts of different ways do you you recognize Psalm 23 that it's the same look at Psalm 23 again David speaking pointing forward to the the Lord Jesus Christ but look at what he talks about Psalm 23 verse 4 
This is not a good time. This is a time of discouragement. And yet, look at the answer. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You are the God of all comfort. So when I am in this position where I am discouraged, I am going to look to you, and I know that you will meet me there. What we see in this is is God's plan for us in our lives pouring into one another. Do you see that this is multifaceted? On the one hand, this is revealing to us that Paul is in a discouraged place. That's why he's so personal. That's why he's looking at it as though all of Asia's turned his, their backs on him. But it's more than that. There's the other side of those who have actually done the walking away. That, was, that is not what God's intention is for us as Christ's church. That's not what God's intention is for you as a fellow believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what his intention is? His intention is to use you to be an encouragement to the one sitting next to you, to the one sitting over here on this side and over that side and everybody in the middle, that we would wrap arms around one another as his church, as his body, as his family. And what was happening in this time of need, probably the Apostle Paul's greatest time of need, They've all turned their back on him, but do you know who has not? The Lord Jesus Christ, and Paul knows that. And he's got confidence in him. And he's trying to spur Timothy on and let him know, hey buddy, you know what's going to happen? The same thing's going to happen to you. People are going to turn their backs on you. You're going to become discouraged. But when you're in that discouragement, do not take your eyes off of the Lord. Keep looking to him, for he will protect you guide you, lead you, and pull you out of the pit, you might be surprised who he's going to use to do just that. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. That's the part that we should play in each other's lives, particularly when when one among us is struggling. That's when we should gravitate towards that person. Actually pursue them. Don't wait for them to come to you. You go to them. And you pursue them. And you lovingly step into their lives as much as you can. But there's a cost here, isn't there? Because I don't believe Paul would have singled out these two guys unless they were tight. And the fact that he names them by name is is a bit of a reveal that this must have been oh so hurtful for him. And the more that we invest in one another and the more that we we work on our relationships and we become tighter and we spend time with one another, there's more of that potential that that relationship actually could go south, right? And so then what do we do? Do we just pull off? And you come here as late as you possibly can and you leave as quickly as you possibly can and and you just try to shelter yourself. Why? Because you have been burned in the past. Why? Because you understand what happens when a relationship doesn't always end up the way that you expected it to end. And yet the Lord is saying here, my grace is sufficient. C.S. Lewis has has this to say in, in his book, Four Loves. To love it all is to be vulnerable. If you don't want to be hurt, 
give yourself to no one, not even a cat. Unless you're a dog person, and not even a dog. No, that isn't what the Lord desires for us. The Lord desires that we would step in, we would lean in, we would wrap arms around one another, not expecting anything in return. Jonah taking those steps, not knowing exactly what turn. Man, I remember talking to Jonah when he came back. He's like, oh, are you kidding? I was scared to death. Every time I came around a corner, I thought, that, that's, he's going to be there for me. I said, but was he? He said, no, God protected me along that road. He was holding me on both sides, front and back. They, they talk so colorfully in their language. That's what God wants to do with us. He wants us to trust him, and he wants us to lean into one another. So don't let discouragement throw you into the pit. Recognize that you need to be unashamed of the gospel, which is what we see next. This is where we see the encouragement given from someone who is unashamed of the gospel. This is what Paul needed. And where it comes from is kind of out of the blue. It's someone that you you don't hear anything about. Look at verse 16. This is encouragement given by someone who is living and unashamed of the gospel life. The encouragement goes to us as fellow believers as we watch someone that is willing to just set it all out. And no matter what, you know, you've been with people like this. Wherever you go, they're going to share Christ with someone. And as you spend time with them, what do you want to do? You want to begin to share Christ with everyone. Man, that wasn't so hard. Look at this. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Two ways that we see in this verse that Onesiphorus was an encouragement to the Apostle Paul. Do you see what the first one is? Refreshed him. If anybody needed refreshment, it was the Apostle Paul. Remember, he's in a hole. A dirt hole. We don't even know how we could get food and everything else. This, this word does mean most times food, clothing. So no doubt as Onesiphorus came to Paul, he brought food and he brought clothing. But this word is deeper than that. This word actually in the, in the verb root, the root of this particular verb to refresh someone, has this word that means in the Greek soul. It's the idea, it's not just the physical side of ministering to Paul. It wasn't just that he refreshed him physically, but that he refreshed him spiritually. And perhaps that was even more of the encouragement that the Apostle Paul needed at this particular time. Isn't God so good that he would use a relatively unknown man? I mean, how many of you have, have, well, you you use this name for your kids, Onesiphorus. Never heard it. This guy's unknown. He's not an apostle. He's he's a no-name man, and yet the Lord uses him to encourage perhaps the greatest missionary ever to walk this planet except for the Lord Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul. Interesting. No, not Timothy. Not Barnabas. This guy, Onesiphorus. What might the Lord do through you? cool thing about grace is it's magnified in our nothingness. That's who God wants to use. He wants to continue to use the nothings of this world like you and me. And that's what we see in Onesiphorus. His name literally means prophet bearer. 
That means that wherever he went, he was profitable to the Lord. He was profitable to those that were within his little circle sphere of influence. He was a blessing to them. Not just in how he refreshed the Apostle Paul. And looking at verse 18, we'd have to assume that this is what he did in Ephesus as well. That he refreshed those in the church in Ephesus. So much so that the Apostle Paul says, hey, you know that, Timothy. You saw it too. You know this man. But what was the second thing that he did that was such an encouragement to the Apostle Paul? It is this. He was not ashamed of my chains. When we speak of shame, we're talking about being embarrassed to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's this feeling of humiliation that, that comes upon us when it's close time for us to witness, right? We all know it. Oh man, what are they going to say? Am I going to be able to answer this? Or are they just going to laugh at me? Are they going to get angry? And so what happens, this, this, this humiliation that wells up in us and this thoughts of it, what does it do? It pushes us to just say, Okay, no, not today. Maybe next week I'll, I'll share about the Lord Jesus Christ with this particular person. That is not Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus is all about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means by my chains. He's letting him know, hey, this guy, he's not going to even think about turning his back on me. Why? Because we have this in common, the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. He means everything to me. He means everything to Onesiphorus. And in light of all of that, what is Paul saying? He's saying, Timothy, follow his example. Follow the example of Onesiphorus. Again, this is the third time already in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that we've seen this idea of not being ashamed. Verse 8. As Paul starts off, what does he say? He gives a command to Timothy. Hey, do not be ashamed of two things, of me or the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you could be ashamed of either. And either is a wrong call. Do not be ashamed. Then in verse 12, he points to himself and says, hey, you know what? With all that the Lord has done for me on my behalf, with all the suffering that I'm doing, no matter what, what has happened, whatever the Lord allows to come to me, and yes, that could be 2 Corinthians 11, that could be shipwrecks, that could be stoning, that could be all sorts of things, no matter what, I am not ashamed. Me personally. And then he comes to this man, Onesiphorus. As his final example, okay, if I'm not enough, if you still don't get it, Timothy, I don't want you to miss this. This is important. I want you to take this to your grave as I'm taking it to my grave. Do not be ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul does something strange. Did you catch it? He asked the Lord to grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. Not just Onesiphorus himself, but to his entire house. Perhaps that's because he's separated from his wife and his family. And he's asking God to pour out mercy upon him. Why? Because this was a man who poured out mercy upon others. Kindness, compassion, given for someone in need. Isn't that what we should all be doing? That when you find that someone is in need, what do you do? You pour out compassion, kindness, and love, generosity towards that person. 
not, accept, not expecting any kind of return, doing it. Why? Because God has been so gracious and merciful to us. Turn with me to Matthew 25. This is such a sweet passage and so, so challenging. Coming from the, from the very lips of Jesus. Verses 31, and let's go all the way down to 46 to, to fill in all, all the gaps here so we see exactly what is being spoken of. It's being kind, compassionate, loving, gracious, full of mercy, something that should be a characteristic, should be a trait, should be part of the lives of Christ's church and every believer in it, Yes. Because that's what Jesus says. How are they going to know us? They're going to know us by our love. 31, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will beat the sheep. He will put the sheep on his right. Those are the believers. And the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, come you who are blessed by of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Step into my kingdom. Step into eternal life. Enjoy fellowship with me and all of my children with me for all of eternity. For you have believed in my son. And then he says this, this these amazing statements, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or Naked and clothe you. When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine. So it's great for us to be gracious and loving, full of mercy to those outside of, of Christ's church. But the context here is the sheep, are the sheep, that we should first and foremost be looking after one another and then let grace extend out Further than that, even as you do this to the least of them, you did it to me. And then he will also say to those on his left, these are the goats. This is anyone who has not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and recognize that when Jesus died upon the cross, he did not die upon the cross for his own sins, for he was sinless, he was perfect. He died upon the cross for all of us that would believe in him that he would be our substitute. But anyone who rejects the Lord Jesus Christ does not accept him as their Savior, does not repent of their sins. He'll say this, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Notice it's, hell wasn't made for Humanity. It wasn't made for us. It was made for Satan and his angels, those that rebelled with him. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. 
I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or, stri or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to the one to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Just in case anybody would walk away from this thinking, oh, so if I can do enough humanitarian aid, if I can just look after so many people, that will buy my ticket to heaven. That will earn God's favor. No, that is not what he's saying at all. He's saying the only way that you will enter into eternal life is if you are a righteous person. And we know from scripture, scripture that not one of us is righteous, that we all fall, fall short, that all of us, if we were to take out the Ten Commandments and look at them, that each one of us is guilty. I've, yeah, I, oh, yeah, that one too. Oh, that one. Oh, yeah, actually each day. Don't live up to them. But by God's wonderful grace, Jesus came to die for those that are sinners. And we trust in Him and trust in Him entirely. And through that, we then are given His righteousness in the greatest exchange ever. The Son of God and His perfect righteousness for me and all of my despicable, utter, incomplete sinfulness. Swapped. Now as He looks at me, He doesn't look at Jason anymore. He looks at the Son and He sees all His righteousness. And now what is He doing? He is making me righteous practically day by day through the grace of God and the Holy Spirit in me. What opportunities might we be missing to extend mercy to those around us? Those within the body, those without the body. Our neighbors at a park. All the different opportunities where we can just come alongside someone and be kind and gracious and loving. How many of these opportunities are we missing? So we've seen, first, living an unashamed of the gospel life might lead to discouragement, but God always meets us in our hard places. You can take that to the bank. God is a God of comfort. Second, living an unashamed of the gospel life will be an encouragement to others around you who follow Christ. Third, living an unashamed of the gospel life means a life fully committed to Christ and serving others. Let's go back to 2 Timothy. We see this in verse 17. What kind of man was Onesiphorus? Not only was a man who refreshed Paul, not only was he a man who was unashamed of the gospel, but he was a man who was committed to following Christ, serving others, others no matter what the cost. No matter how difficult it was, and this was difficult. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. This, this word search is to search for something without knowing where it was. Now you may say, well, isn't that what it always is like, Pastor Jason? Come on. Well, I can search for my wife, but I know she's at Costco. And I, and I, and I get you, Costco's huge. And it might take me an hour to find her, but I know she's in Costco. Why? Because I have the keys. Okay, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, okay, she's in Temecula. Happy hunting. And you don't have a car. And she does. And the people in Temecula, they're hiding her from you. 
Oh, and on top of all that, they've burned all of Temecula and whatever perception you had of what Temecula looked like in the past, it no longer looks like that. Oh, and on top of that, you're not from Temecula. You're from Idaho. And you've never possibly been to Temecula. That's what he's coming up against. But what does he do? The idea here is that you, you came to Rome and you first did not find me. And so you searched and you searched and you searched and you searched some more. And I would have stopped after the first searching. And I would have said, cool, I'm going back to Ephesus. That's where my family is. But he's not like that. He's committed. He's eagerly, diligently, earnestly, zealously searching for him. And he's not going to stop until what? Until he finds him. He's like one of these search and rescue dogs that will not quit even if they die. Are you like that? When it comes to serving the Lord, when it comes to opportunities that he gives you, when it comes to plugging into Christ's church, when it comes to serving others in Christ's church, that's what his attitude was like. His attitude was very similar to the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live as Christ and to die is what? Gain. See, that's what they had in common. They had in common the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know what else they had in common. They might have been extremely good friends. We're not told that. We're told he's not ashamed of my chains. He's all about the gospel. And he wants to encourage me. He wants to comfort me. He wants to refresh me no matter what it costs him. Colossians 1.29, for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works in me. Hey, this isn't about Onesiphorus and his own strength and his own plans and his own ideas. This is the Lord working in his heart and in his life. How often do you just stop the beginning of your week and say, Lord, guide me. Guide me to someone. Reveal to me what you want me to do this week for you and your glory and how you want me to be an impact for eternity through the situations that you bring right before me this week. How often do you say, and thank you for Rancho Baptist Church. Lord, how do you want me to serve you here? How do you want me to lean in? How do you want me to wrap arms around what's going on? Is that the attitude of your heart? And do you have this attitude that, okay, I'm going to step forward and I'm, and I'm not going to look back. I'm not going to pull back. I'm not going to compare this with that. Do, do you know what so much of the problem is in, in the church in America these days? It's, it's consumerism. It's, it's, well, you get it like you want it anywhere you go, so why wouldn't it be the same in church? The problem is that's not what the Word says. The, the Word says that we do what the Lord tells us to do. We, we, we don't come to church solely to be fed, but we come in order to feed others and to serve others. Amen? So living an unashamed of the gospel life first, yes, it might lead to discouragement, but the Lord is enough. If you live an unashamed life, you will be an encouragement to those around you. You will challenge those around you. 
It definitely means a life that is fully committed to Christ. Why? Because all sorts of other things are going to step in the way and vie for your attention. And they're going to want to pull you away so that you take your focus off of Christ and the gospel and you get your focus on all sorts of other things. And then look at what Paul brings in last. Living an unashamed of the gospel life will help you find mercy in judgment. Do you recognize that all of us as believers, there's two judgments, really, if you pull it all back. You have the great white throne judgment. Well, all that are the unsaved who have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Revelation chapter 20, verses 11, 15, something like that. All those that have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ will one day stand and their sins will be judged. And the book will open with all of their sins. And believe me, it's not just going to be one book. It's going to be many books, right? Because that's how I was before I came to faith in Christ. But there is another judgment. And that judgment is compared to like a fire. We're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what He's going to do? He's going to try our works here, our deeds that we do. And you know what? I can stand here and I can preach this message, but if my life is a joke and it is something entirely different than what I am preaching to you, then this is all going to go up in smoke. I could spend nearly 20 years in Papua New Guinea and I, and I could be used by the Lord to help plant a church and I could do it all in my strength and in my own arrogance, my own pride, and you know what would happen when I stand before the Lord? Puff, gone. These are scary, scary verses for me. They should be scary for you too. Why? Because we want to stand before the Lord and not have everything puff up in smoke. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. What's he speaking of? He's speaking of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We could look at this as both, but look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is very clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is what we call the Bema Seat of Christ. Verses 12 to 15. But let me start in 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That means everything we must do must be for the glory, the praise, the adoration, the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything. Not just if you're a pastor, but whatever your particular vocation is, however the Lord has called you into whatever job that you are doing, He wants you to what? He wants you to accurately represent Him. He wants you, He wants to point, wants to use you to point others to Christ. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now in this, yes, He's talking to those that are involved in pastoral ministry, but He broadens it. Now if any man, any man, doesn't matter what you are involved in builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. We'll take all those works, everything that we have done in this life, 
this side of eternity, and they'll all be revealed. And that, that, that revelation is not what, what I can fake you into thinking I'm all about. That revelation isn't what you can fake yourself into thinking, what your motivation and everything else is all about. No, this is the true side of you. Isn't that scary? This is your heart. This is your motivation, not just what you do, but why you do what you do. This is why it is so crucial that you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. Because without that, not only do you not have any hope for all of eternity, but you have no power to actually live a godly life. And to get to the point where this is talking about, where we stand before the Lord one day, and by His grace we lay all these things before Him. And we say, worthy is the Lamb. For each man's work will be evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Please, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ today if you do not know him. If any man's work which he has built on it remains. On what? On the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything done in the power of the Holy Spirit, anything done for his glory, what will happen? It shall remain. You will receive a reward. And if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as though, as through fire. This is how we know this isn't talking about the, the great white throne judgment. This is not the judgment of unbelievers. This is the judgment of believers. Why? Because all will be saved. But some, and this is where, where we all have to pay attention, do you recognize that some, they'll have nothing? Their whole life could actually be kind of a facade. Oh, they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but everything has been done in their own flesh. Oh, that the Lord would reveal these things to us, that we might walk in the newness of life that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So wrapping things up, what have we seen this morning? We've seen a challenge that our lives would be lived in such a way that we are not ashamed of the gospel. And that even though discouragement might come, that we recognize that God's got that. And that all we must do is be faithful. Faithful before him. Second, that, that if we live our lives in a way that we are unashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, then that will be an encouragement to others that that will spur, spur others on towards godliness as well as help them when they are in the pit of discouragement, as Paul was. Third, that, that this kind of life, a purely devoted life to the Lord Jesus Christ, will be a, a life that is a commitment. It's committed to obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, fourth, that if we live our lives unashamed of the gospel, by his grace, we'll find mercy from the Lord when we stand before Jesus and have our deeds tried, coming forth as precious stones that we could lay at his feet in adoration and praise and worship to him. May that be the case for us as we seek to honor the Lord, and may we all recognize that this only happens if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and as you, by His grace, are being led, and God's grace is so sufficient, and He's so good, 
Remember, we're talking about a a no-name Onesiphorus that the Lord uses. The Lord wants to use us all. Let me pray us out as, as Pastor Shane comes up with Joyce. Heavenly Father, we stop and we thank you for your word, your all-sufficient word, for how good it is to be reminded of your gospel, how good it is for us to see those that were ashamed and how discouraging that was for Paul as well, no doubt for you, Lord. And yet we see, too, Onesiphorus, who was unashamed, who lived his life to serve you, to be all about the gospel. Lord, that that is our desire this morning. Would you help us to do that? Would you empower us? Would you reveal to us these opportunities that you give us? And, And when we consistently back away from those opportunities, would you convict us and give us the boldness and the strength by your power and your power alone to proclaim you to this lost and dying world? And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.